0: In the future, roving bands of comic book podcasts will savage the wasteland, once known as the Internet. One podcast, the Grawlix Podcast, may not be the biggest, may not be the funniest, may not be the most well-spoken. Wait, what was my point again? Oh, yes, the Grolux Podcast. Listen to it at GrawlixPodcast.com. That's G-R-A-W-L-I-X Podcast.com.
1: Welcome to Moose's 13 Horrifying Days of Christmas. I'm your host and gift giver, Moose. Your gift today's music. From Night of the Demons and many, many more, I give to you, Master Musician Mr. Dennis Tenney. Moose! How's it going? I'm going good. Good, good, good. Is this live, live, or is this being recorded? Recorded. Okay, good. <laughs> In case I slip up I have a face for recorded
0: oh, oh ah. <laughs> you got a face for radio who said that I don't know Sid Caesar or something. Yeah. funny stuff so what do you generally talk about on these things I mean uh, you got you do like music and production and radio and you talk to people from all over the place I talk to
1: anybody and everybody about horror and horror related accessories cool. very cool very cool. In your case, I want to talk about your musical run, because you have been composer and, well, you, you've you been attached musically to, see, I know at least off the top of my head, two Leprechaun films, plus yes. I believe you were composer on Night of the Demons.
0: Yes, and Night of the Demons too. So, I mean... And my company did all the post-audio for Night of the Demons too. In Night of the Demons,
1: we're, we're we're talking some pretty decent music
0: here. Yeah, I, I liked it. The, the they got on with the director very well, and that's the big one right there. You kind of you kind of figure out the director's attitudes and wants and likes and doesn't like and doesn't want. You get that out of the way early, and things run really, really
1: smooth. Well, I mean, in Night of the Demons, you kind of had most of your life to get used to the director.
0: Oh yeah, right. <laughs> which chord <laughs> which chord and neither timers, right. They were, uh, both my brother's films, right. So that was a that was a different dynamic, you know, because it, he was the boss obviously and uh, I was the composer. But uh you know, I could also tell him you're being stupid, you know, which I could not say to Brian Trenchard no. Smith. You know, like, That's ridiculous. You don't want that. You know, I, I could get around that stuff. But we came we, very early on we kind of like I don't know well, yeah, I said, what do you got ideas here? You know, orchestral big? No, no, more like circus from hell. So oh, okay, we can do that. Did a lot of FM synthesis and detuned instruments, and and just even if it's just like one note, it's actually like detuned. So it's a, it's like a, a, a out of tune piano, and uh, it just it just grates on the human beings nervous system. Yeah. So. You do that, you can just play like a C D, and it's like, oh my God, that sounds terrible. Good. I hope you're feeling really edgy right now because someone's about to, Angel's about to jump out at you. And I would like you on the edge of your seat for that to happen when that happens. So that was a lot of
1: fun. To so, w- what kind of a musical background do you have? I mean,
0: uh, well, picked up the guitar when I was like 14, which is late for my player. Just started, you know, a gal from. Was in a guitar class at school, and I'd go over to her. I didn't take it. I went over to her house, and she and I didn't know at the time, but she had she was, she let me play her dad's guitar, which I had no idea it was it was an electric guitar, and she was just playing like you know. I think the first song I ever learned was "Who'll Stop the Rain" by Creedence Clearwater Revival, and yeah, uh, you know, playing this guitar, and then I finally got my own guitar. My, my, saved up my my monies. And, uh, bought a $85 Lyle, which I still have hanging in my bedroom right now and learned on that. And then I, not soon after that, I was teaching her stuff because I just picked, I, I took to it very well. And I started playing on, on Travis Air Force Base at the NCO club when I was like 15, maybe 16. And you weren't supposed to be in there unless you were 18 and in uniform. And then you could drink. I couldn't drink, but my dad was hot shot in the Air Force and, Wink, wink, nod, nod. Let him in, let him in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let let him play, let him play. I played with a friend of mine there, Mike, and we were making really good money because I don't know if you know anything about uh, divisions of the government. It's a use it or lose it, spend it, or you don't get it again. So they were paying us like $500 a night, two kids, in like 1973 or four. I was making $500 on a weekend. Mm and, and for, for eight hours of work and we started like at five six five to six seven eight nine five to nine some of like that and then they'd have a real band come in after us and play because we were just a duet and we just set up and walk in with our little bitty pa system and a couple of guitars and sit around and play kumbaya and paul simon and jackson brown and john denver and that kind of nonsense. Anyway, so I got pretty good at the finger-picking. I'm a good picker. And I picked, I picked up an electric guitar and started learning on that. And pretty soon, I was playing in rock and roll bands and recording and went two years of college to get a AA, got my AA degree and meant to go back, but got on the road and started making a living doing what I wanted to do anyway. So did that for many, many years, traveled the world. Playing loud guitars. Then I think I hit thirty, and I realize that I live on a bus. Uh, I've never owned a couch. Um, maybe I should look at doing something different. And i had already—I think I'd already done. I'm broke for a while. Did Witchboard, Went back to playing club work, and then <clears throat> when I got out of the demons, I decided that that's what I'm going to be doing. And I set up my own music studio and did. Quite a few films, and then the, the just for music studio turned into a. You know, I think one of the films I was working on was uh, probably a probably a Fred Olin Ray or a Jim Minorsky movie. And they said, can you do? Can you do the? Put, can you clean the dialogue up? To him, sure. I don't see why not. And I had an engineer friend. And he basically wired the studio for me, and he went to work for me, and he started cutting the, all the effects, and cutting the dialogue, and doing some music, and then that just grew into a big. Two uh, two stage mixing studio for for films did a lot of films, there. a lot a lot of films.
1: Isn't it interesting that by thirty the big uh, marker is? I don't yeah. own a couch, not a house. I don't own a car. It's I don't own a couch to call my own.
0: Right? Yeah. It's just you know you live in hotel rooms, you live in uh, and I'm not and I can tell you right now for a young man that was a absolute great lifestyle especially when i was doing it i have i know younger people now who are playing clubs but they're not making a living you know it's like uh we would actually make a living i didn't have a job i was a musician that was my job and i made a good living at it and uh, but you just you know i'm 30 i'm not van halen not going to be the rolling stones when i get old i'm just gonna be some old club guy sitting in a corner on a stool, because his hips don't work, playing a guitar. So. Playing the Velvet Room at the Play. Ramada? You're exactly right. Absolutely. Star Wars, the theme from Star Wars. You might get Nick for that. You'll have to pay John Williams a few cents.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, that's it, man. And that's a whole other thing, man. This uh, entire... Uh, the way the music bands and stuff are getting released, it's just a whole, whole other world right now. You know, record an album, put it up on, you know, put it up online, get enough hits, you make some money off of it. You know, get enough, get enough uh, juice on it, you can go tour behind it. You know, it's, like it's it's crazy anymore. And yet, vinyl's making a comeback. It is. I uh, I've been contacted by several companies. One of which I have already done. It's called Lunaris Records. You can go to lunarisrecords.com, and they put out uh, they put Die the Demon soundtrack on on uh, vinyl, a two two vinyl LP, along with they made CDs and they made cassette tapes. Wow! And what's and what sold out first were the LPs and the cassettes. They still got CDs left. I just thought, that's that, that's weird to I me. Mean, yeah, people they sold out on, uh, on the LP first. Well, they had like four colors, like red, black, clear, red and black, vinyl mushed together. And you could pick your color. And they ended up with, they still had a couple of black ones the last time I looked. But I think like, someone online said, no, I went to look and they're gone. So I thought, that's crazy. People are buying, horror fans are buying music and films they like. On vinyl. Oh
1: yeah, and and I was wondering how that works because I mean I, I've noticed there's a big boom in you know the horror soundtracks going to vinyl.
0: There are there are companies. Uh, Linares is the only one I've ever really dealt with. I'm dealing with some a uh, younger startup. Well, they want to do the uh, they want to do Leprechaun three and four as a uh, dual um, a dual set. But as I, I said, mm, well with with Nine of the demons. I was really good friends from Witchboard, And the same producers did Nine of the Demons. I mean, Nine of the Demons, yeah, that did Witchboard. So there was there was no, like, okay, well, I need their permission. It was just, it was, it's cool, you know, do what you do, make a buck. But with uh, Leprechaun, Time Warner holds the publishing. I said, that's going to be your hurdle right there. They may just say, fuck you. They may, just, they may demand a ridiculous amount of money to sign off. So you work out that and I got the music. I got the masters. I got everything digitized. I could email you the freaking music. you get Time Warner to say, okay, we're good. <laughs> yeah. It's just a Time Timberland. So it's like a Warner subsidiary. And I'm not sure. And one of those, again, is where Walter and Jeff were the producers. Walter was actually the executive producer on Witchport. And when they came to Night of the Demons, uh, Walter was more of a just, uh, production, uh, producer along with Jeff and, uh, and they, they were basically making a movie for somebody else because they'd sold, they pitched the idea and made the money. I think they got paid up front. I don't even know how that really worked, but they weren't, they weren't holding on to everything, so... I don't, it gets so convoluted when you say, I go to movies now, there's like 16 title cards with uh, production companies on it. Yeah. I know damn well, not all these freaking people were involved in the production. Distributors, they're uh, promoters. 50 producers, 30 directors. Yeah, right, right. And on on the really, really small films, I see that because, not that there's so many title cards up front, you know, uh, but because, you you know, you come in, you do some work, we'll give you a producer title, or kick in ten grand, you get a producer's title. You know, one of those bragging points, I guess. You know, you're, you're, uh, you can you get your name on the IMDb, you know? Yeah. Which I have no idea how it works because I've never submitted anything for IMDb. Yeah,
1: I don't know either. I don't. I don't know
0: who puts but, all that stuff on there. It's amazing. I've, I did a couple things on the stage. I'm the first voice you hear in Dream a Little Dream Two, or a radio announcer because the director went, "We need. We need something here." Like you know, first minute of the first reel, and he's going, "No." Nah, we were thinking, "Oh, this is going to be a. This going to be a pain in the ass." He goes, "No, no. Just, just, just get in there and say." It's always sunny in Philadelphia. I don't even know what it was I said. And I said, okay, right. So me, the director, and Joel, the engineer, knew that I had done that. Mm. It ends up on IMDb as Dennis Tandy, actor, uncredited. Well. How would anyone know that? Because the titles were already shot. I mean, it wasn't like they wait to the end. They they lock the whole film before the post guys get start the post audio guys start working on it. So... The titles were already shot, so they're not going to go back, reshoot the titles. Not like it is today, where you punch in a, you make another little window, type in some of this, boom, save a file, and it's done. No, you, know, you got to like shoot an optical. You got to shoot the, you know, get a, create a negative, create an interpositive. I mean, it's a big process to get a film all strung together and put on. Oh yeah, put on reels back in the day. So no, I know they they never ended up putting me in the titles anywhere. At the end, very like below the Iatsi bug or anything, I'm just not in there. So I don't know how like, people find this out. Okay,
1: walk me through this. You get a script for a movie, mm-hmm. and you're tasked with providing the music for the movie. What is the what what's the process? Well,
0: <clears throat> process. Uh, read the script. Think okay, this is this is going to be this going to be fun, but my job. I might do some. I did a demo for a film called. Uh, it was originally called fin- Finnegan's Wake. and It ended up being called, being called Backstreet Justice with uh, Mrs. Uh, Crocodile Dundee. Dundee, I can't think of what her name is. Linda Kozlowski, something of that. Anyway, read the script. Knew what it was kind of. It was, I was thinking it was going to be kind of a film noir, cop film, and did a demo. They said, Love it, love it, love it. But I get the film. So I get the film. After they shoot it and they cut it and they put it all together and then they transfer it to videotape and give it to me and the sound effects editors and the dialogue editors and the Foley artists and, and the ADR recordists. So I get the film, and I just sit down and watch it all the way through, and uh, you go, okay, I got some ideas. And you you start, you put some ideas together, you get the director over, hopefully, if you can get him. Like in when I did *Leprechaun* 3, he was in Australia, so didn't have much choice there. But uh, you get the director over, and they kind of go, okay, great. I I like that. And then you sit and watch the rest of the film with the director or the producers or whoever's really going to be in charge, which I've discovered you have to be careful about that. You you just assume the director's in charge. Not always the case. (laughs) Not always the case. They'd like to be, or they hope they are, but not always the case. Producers. And at some points, even the distributors. It's like, oh, my God. And you go through and you do what you call spotting the movie. You just like, take this time-coded. You look at it. Okay, from here, 101, one hour, one, you know, first reel, one hour, one minute, 15 seconds. You're going to put in some spooky kind of high-tension stuff here up until two minutes. You know, we need a little sting there. And you just walk through it and talk about it like that. Then you do a little bit more music. And if you got... You've already showed them something that they kind of like. Like in this case, it was a I demoed. I had a demo before that they liked. So I I played off that and did some stuff. And they were like, oh, that's not really what we were after, even though it's what they hired me on. And we ended up up scoring the whole movie, changing stuff constantly because they'd get other people to come in. The director uh, would have the producers come in. He'd have the distributors come in. He'd have... The, the distributor's girlfriend come in who played flute in high school, you know, and put her two cents in. And, uh, and eventually the, 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 the I think the score just turned out like a gigantic piece of shit. It was, it was, a, a, a mishmash of like, you know, 10 opinions. So it was the point where like everyone was was good with it, but no one was happy with it. And me at least of all. And the odd thing was, is the, uh, we're again up against the wire because there've been so many changes made. So I have to—I t- take the original demo that I had demoed for them, and I use it over the end titles because I just didn't have time, and I just—it was about the right length. I think I had like had a little something on the top of it or something. I don't remember, and I played that over the end titles, and uh, the producer one of the producers goes that's what I was after. That's what I wanted for the whole damn movie. And I said, that was the actual demo I gave you guys. And uh, the other producer goes, yep, I got, a, I got a cassette copy in my car. That's exactly the, what that is. So they... It was a real unsatisfying experience <laughs> up until that point where, where Fred, the, uh, the the producer, was like, oh, this is what, I want. This, what the whole film should have been like. And I was like, yeah, was kind of my thought too. Yeah, <laughs> that that's a little late in the day for that. That that, that was my plan. Yeah, that was that was Town thought all our plan was on the same page. That's why I did the demo. So not happy with the way that score turned out, but uh, felt vindicated at the end when they fell in love with the end title, which was actually the demo. So that film too. Great cast. That's always the thing that kills me. Hector Elizondo, Linda Kozlowski, Paul Servino. I mean, it was just a really good cast. Um, Terrible film. Terrible film. I, I was, how can you make it? John Shea. How can you make a bad film with Hector Elizondo and Paul Servino? It, it was beyond me. Bad choices. That's all it takes. A couple of bad choices. It starts to snowball. Director did not have it together. Uh, but and you know also and I will say that was probably their budget right there Linus Kozlowski Paul Cervino Hector Alizondo, and uh, the rest was done on you know cigarette money because they'd blown their nut on the uh, budget to get those actors involved. oh yeah it was a uh, little it live and learn so that's how it journey goes you sit down with the director hopefully you, you go through it you spot it you talk about it you, pl- you do a couple pieces for them and then they generally go away they might take an hour every week and drop in and say what do you got what what new do you got you play on some oh i like that uh, can we do some a little extra here okay that kind of thing so it's, it's a corroboration but uh i've never had anyone just like sit in the room with me going mm, i don't know i don't know try something. i've never had i've never been coached which i don't think i would Tolerate when you're
1: coming up with the creepy, haunting, you can't see my air quotes. Uh, music, (laughs) (laughs) uh, does that get difficult to do after a while? So you're not like repeating the same, you can be. You gotta,
0: it's not even so much the thematic parts, is like, you know, okay, here's another getting chased through the woods scenes. It's a completely different movie, but it's basically the same scene you, you got to be careful not to like fall back on your go-tos, you know, and a lot of times, a lot of times I had three weeks, you know, from here's the film to we're mixing tomorrow kind of thing. So you got to keep on it. There's some long days in there, but, uh, yeah, it's hard not just to, to, well, this really worked well in that last film I did. It's, it'd be really easy to like change the key, use a couple different, different instruments and, let it let it ride because it's not like part of the theme it's just moving music in order to to like drive the scene you know you could just do it i've I've seen films do it with just drums you know just (laughs) timpani and and uh, toms and stuff and i don't have you ever seen the firm yeah but with tom cruise and i've asked people this before and and no one really recalls it until i i say this i think that one. I'm sorry about that. I don't know how to make that stop. Anyway, uh, Maurice the entire score with a piano. Nothing else. And I've talked to people right out of the theater saying, that was amazing that that score worked so well and there was nothing but a, a piano. And people go, really? Yeah. There's nothing but piano. There's no, no horn section, no orchestra, no, no nothing. Just a piano. That was a bold move, and a lot of people didn't even realize it. It was just, uh, it worked. It worked really well, and it was, you know, moved when it had to, and it was languid when it needed to be. Just amazing work that you could get away with a a big budget Hollywood Tom Cruise movie and score it with your piano. It was amazing to me. Well, I mean, done right, it's. Oh yeah, it was. uh, It kept putting me in the mind of like silent silent movies, right, where the guy just plays the organ along. With the pitch out. With no uh, knock on uh,
1: the guy's skill, because it is by no means simple to play the piano. Keeping it no. simple
0: sometimes is the best. Yeah, yeah. very much so. so I've, I've, I've discovered that I would overthink things on many occasions. You know, you know what, though? Yeah, we need this. Uh, remember, especially on Witchburn, when I was first starting, I really didn't know what the hell I would do. He said, "No, no, no, nothing here, nothing here. Just right there when the knife hits the ground. Just give me some violins that are, you know, minor second apart, kind of like that." And I said, "Okay." And I did. And I said, I, "I didn't. I think he could have built up to that." And he said, "No, this. That's that's really really good. That's perfect. That's what that's what I want." I said, okay. And I wasn't sure, but he said when they were mixing the film. The guy that was working for the studio, but he was—he was kind of like the gopher, right? You know, go get coffee, and, and he's walking in with a cup full of uh, the tray full of cups, and he's not even looking at the screen. All he hears is the, and he jumps and drops his shit everywhere. And my brother looks at the uh, sound effects editor and the, and the producer and the editor, and goes, "See, tell you that's gonna work. That's gonna work real good." <laughs> They're like, "Okay, yeah." But yeah, I mean, sometimes I'm, you can you can definitely overthink things.
1: Oh yeah, and you know, and a lot of times it's this the simple, the, the the simple sounds on the face that Ooh. have the longest lasting effects on you. I mean, look at Jaws. Look at I Halloween. More,
0: I played more. I played more cello than cello players. Absolutely. You know, Halloween, uh, Jaws, uh, uh, Nightmare,
1: Nightmare on Elm Street. They all have very simple uh, on yeah. the face. Their, their themes are very simple.
0: Yeah, were those uh you know
1: were, were those a John Carpenter movie? Uh which one? See, I know Halloween was Carpenter. Um Yeah. See, he scores his own movies. And yeah, it's he he keeps it at least it's like I I haven't seen the breakdown, but at least on the face it, it's a very simple sounding yeah. theme. Yeah, you know, I mean just that da 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 da. Yeah, and then with Jaws, it's da-da-da-da. I mean, and it mm-hmm. sticks with you, and it, it draws you it, in.
0: It, man, that uh, Jaws stuck with me. Once again, though, that's brilliant, brilliant scoring, for sure. John Williams, probably one of the best there ever was. Uh, and uh, but he had that cut of that film to work with. I mean, it was an amazing film. Sometimes you're, uh, sometimes you get a winner. You know. Like Night of the Demons, that was pretty easy to score because we just said, just make it unlistenable. So, okay. I said, oh, okay. Just so everyone's on edge all the time. You know? And I don't know why people, other than the theme at the beginning, which was the last thing I wrote because they were working on that. You remember Night of the Demons, the, uh, the, it's kind of an animated uh, intro, House on the Hill. Yeah. Night the Demon's Spooks flying by through a graveyard. All very surreal and uh, almost cartoonish, but uh, animated. And it took them a long time to put that piece together. So they, we were already working on the uh, audio of the film. And uh, that showed up last. So That was the last piece I wrote. And that was a bitch because they didn't... The people who were putting the video together didn't write it for any particular... Didn't create it for any particular tempo. You know, it's just... So you have... Like, okay, they got a spooky guy hanging and a pumpkin head, and all these are like little hits through the piece, but there was no rhyme or reason. Like, it wasn't like every five seconds or every six seconds or five seconds, five seconds, and then another one at ten seconds. It was just kind of randomly put together, so it looked cool, which was cool. But it was a bitch to score, man, because it was like, okay, I got to – yeah, I got to – I got to close, close this down two clicks uh, per beat for like four beats so that the next hit happens at the right time. And then I got to like play a bar of six, four in order to get to the next spot where I want to hit. It was just a pain in the butt, but it turned out nice. And I, I can listen to that thing. Almost every other cue in the film, just like, it's just it's like someone tuned that thing. It sounds terrible, <laughs> but it, what it was supposed to do I'd say it, it works it makes it that that, that like gritty yeah. yeah it's just like it's just yeah and, like, like nails again, on they a had chalkboard great. yes exactly feel. exactly yeah and, and they had a great set the the old house was supposed to take place in melanora but it was like right in the middle of watts right you know on a crowded block and they had trouble with the uh, car horns outside and you know, all kinds of crap so added to the score. You have your own horn section. So that, exactly. <laughs> I've never been asked to do that, but I, that's that's a good thing to keep in mind. You know, I've, uh, uh, I've, I've had to play music in a mix way louder than I would like to because it's a Western and you can faintly hear that airplane in the background, yeah, to going over. Just like, okay, well we're going to play the music a little louder than... We would, because kind of kind of got to drown that out a little bit. Yeah, post, post-production is just fixing shit. That's basically what our job was.
1: Do you have a personal preference when you're setting it up, uh, like, pre-jump scare? Do you like to do the music swell up to the jump scare, or just kind of play it out, let the
0: scare happen, well, and well, then... Well, it, it really kind of depends. Like I said, well, I argued with my brother that we should, like, build tension before this one sting happens. He's like, nope, it's, it's just... No one's going to see this coming. Don't want to, He didn't want to like let anyone know that something spooky was going to happen. And I thought, okay. okay. And we went, me and my brother and Jim Quinn, who was a, also a childhood friend of ours who plays Floyd in Witchboard, gets crushed by some sheetrock. We all went to Westwood and watched it in the theater. And sure as hell, everywhere my brother thought. This, the the screams are going to be that's where people screamed. Said, well, you got it. You, know, you live, you learn. Yeah, sometimes you build intention and then it goes nowhere. It's like you know, the guy opens the door and there's nothing there, and then you give it a rest. And then he closes the door and turns around and, and the boogeyman's right there. And that's when you just hit it. You know, you don't. You give them. You give the audience that piece of, oh, okay, he's cool. Boom. No, he's not. You know. It's manipulative.
1: Oh, yeah. And especially nowadays, I think uh, horror fans who
0: have been watching horror forever. Hard. I mean, they may love the movie and never have even went, oh, you know, because they just love horror movies. But to actually get a hardcore horror fan to, like, jump, I don't know what you got to do anymore. It's difficult
1: because, I mean, we're so used to the formula of... Yeah, you, you... There's that timing, there's everything. Yeah. And I was recently watching... Well, I recently rewatched watched uh, Haunting of a Hill House on Netflix.
0: Yeah, I just saw that. They just They started
1: advertising it. And yeah. there's a scene with a jump scare that I, I actually got me. No, first really. time in 10 years, a jump scare got me.
0: Yeah, it usually didn't... Like I say, people were kind of aficionados don't don't get that i'm i'm more of the i'm more of the fool for the uh creepy edgy just not the actual jump part but the scary part leading up to it you know i mean i remember just sitting cringing in my theater seat during the uh scene in deer hunter with uh, john savage and de niro playing russian roulette and the guys are just beating on him and and they keep putting guns in her head. And, and I, I just didn't, I don't even think there was any music in that scene at all. I was just, I was just freaked out about what, I said, what, what what, could possibly happen? Why don't I get shot? I've seen people get shot all the time. That's not going to, that's not going to like freak me out too much, but just that scene leading up to where, you know, De Niro packs the gun with like four bullets and takes the bad guys out was just incredibly uncomfortable. Oh yeah.
1: And I mean, to your brother's point, when especially now, with you know the people who are you know horror aficionados who are so used to that cadence and the timing, it's um, it's hard if you take away the tension buildup, you know, you might, get, y- you, you might, you might actually get, get, the get the desired uh result because we're you know, we're so used to um, yeah, yeah. You know, or just here's a violin sneaking in.
0: Yeah, it's like, oh, enter the
1: music. Okay, something's gonna happen. Right,
0: right, right. Okay, there's some shit's going down here.
1: Yep, and then so when there's no music or you know there's nothing happens for a good five or six minutes after that, you're like, okay, we're good. You know, the adrenaline drops back down, and everything's just kind of backing up. All right, and then boom,
0: boom, yeah. I said, scary movies scare me. I mean, uh, I don't generally watch them. I mean, other than the ones I've worked on, I've seen. I've seen like in a theater because I had friends who were working on it. The uh, uh, Return of the Living Dead, I think, it was kind of a low budget. Linnea Quigley and a few other people that I knew was playing, so we went saw it. But uh, like, I haven't. I haven't seen any of the Saw movies. I don't think I have a desire to. But And the only reason I saw I Know What You Did last summer, which I, I, at this point, after having seen it, the director I'm working with on this next film, he said, that's kind of what the vibe of this movie is going to end up being, we think. So I went and rented it. It was a good film, but it was not, I didn't think it was a horror film. It it didn't get get the kind of, uh, I think it got way more hype as a horror movie than it was just as kind of a murder mystery kind of spooky thing, you know. But I, I, don't, I don't go out of my way to like. Uh, I think I've seen Pumpkinhead. I saw the original Nightmare on Elm Street just, and I I thought that was fantastic. Just the especially back in the day. I don't know why. Why is this? And you tell me if this is true. You're a real horror aficionado. Why do practical effects, as I say, effects they shoot on set, way more horrifying than CGI.
1: I don't know, but I have a very deep love for you, horror, you, uh,
0: practical effects yeah but do you agree with that? Yes. I don't know why that is. I, mean, I, I, no I very much it, love the practical effects. yeah, me too. and and I, my only theory is that no matter how good CGI is at this point, still something a little cartoonish about it, whereas you got a, a big head exploding and it's not and it's just even if it's just a like a trauma uh, watermelon in a hoodie getting run over and exploding. It's just way more visceral. I say I it just it looks brutal. It, it looks brutal and it looks real. Yeah. You know, he, you know, you know, it's not, but it looks real. And CGI, I have a perfect example there. Of, uh, like, uh, Linnea Quigley in The Other Demons. She has a, does a little dance with her lipstick and she swirls around her breast and then she slips the lipstick into her nipple, and it just appears into her chest, for absolutely no reason. I mean, it doesn't move the story forward really, or anything. just because? It's Lynn Mayer-Quigley, and she's got great tits. So, they actually just cast uh, Steve Johnson, the, the effects guy, cast a, uh, a mold of, of her actual naked torso. And then they just put her in some kind of tight wrap so her boobies didn't stick out. Too much, and then they put that torso on her, and then she just shoved it in there. And you know, like put a little slit in, and it so it'd go in easily. And then they did kind of the same gag in the remake, which had a really big cast. Night of the Demons, it, not 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 sequel, but it was a remake of the original Night of the Demons. Took place in New Orleans, and I don't know if you've seen that one, but they did the same thing, kind of same gag, but it was a digital effect, and it had zero impact. It was like it looks. It just looked fake you know? I don't know yeah i'm with
1: you though practical facts yeah there's there just some things you can't you know i mean like okay the disappearing lipstick you get the skin folds it you, you get you, yeah. you get the envelope that envelope effect just that natural yeah. envelope
0: yeah it's, it's just it 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 looks real you you were fooled up to the point where that where the gag takes place and there's no reason for you not to be fooled after that. Yeah. You know? But the digital one is just like, okay, here here it comes here it is. It's that's and it's just bad. And maybe maybe I'm making maybe that's a bad analogy. Maybe it, in Night of the Demons remake, it was just bad CGI. But it was still CGI. And it was like it just didn't it did not fly. I mean like the end of Hellraiser when the guy gets torn apart. It could you know, you could do that uh, digitally, I suppose, but you know they just put up a bit and had a guy in costume and then just jump cut to like pulling across, pull, exploding meat puppet of some type, and it was grotesque. And but you totally bought it, you know. I want some kind of after effect. Yeah, those, those are the th- things that work for me. So I, I don't like the I don't like gore too much. Just even though I work on a lot of gory movies, I don't know.
1: Well, there's a difference between sense. gory and scary.
0: I mean, he's scary, right? I mean, like first time I saw a Psycho, very scary. But and I was younger, but you know, I didn't see it at the theater. I saw it on television, black and white. I mean,
1: that's even minimalistic scary, and that's more of a you know mind
0: fuck than it is anything else. Yeah, no, no, it was it was great. Oh, but yeah, but when they turn the mom around, she's a corpse. It's like oh, boom. Yeah, didn't see, did not, did not see that one coming. Yeah, there's a difference. There's, Difference between being like grossed out and just being jump scares. Sometimes they're kind of cheap, but that's okay. Get you going, get your heart going. But the ones where you're just like on the edge, where you're sinking down in your seat, and you're going, "Oh God, what's going to happen next? What's happening next?" And you need decent actors, I think, also to pull that off because you got to have, you got to give a shit what happens to this guy. Oh you know? yeah. If if all if you've been doing is it, like. Bad acting up until the point, he's it's like, "Go ahead, kill him."
1: <laughs> I say, yeah, The actor has to be good. The story has to be good.
0: All of the above. Director has to be good. I mean, everyone's everyone's got to be good. You, know, you get a you get a bad DP. It, uh, it's just the film looks flat. It's like it looks like it's shot on videotape. You know, you need a good uh, director of photography. You need great set design, and most
1: importantly, you need good music.
0: Good music is always a good thing.
1: Because it drives the movie.
0: It certainly does. The tough. music is I, the heartbeat is of the film. I, I truly agree with that, and I do not say that as a composer. I say that as a, a film I mean, someone who enjoys film, is that uh, a great score can use a shot of a helicopter. That's pretty nice. But you, you put John Williams' score under it, and it's like, boom, you know. Uh, gladiator great fight scene but you know i remember reading an interview with uh who did that hans hans zimmer that so, yeah yeah and uh, he was afraid to show the director he called it the gladiator waltz you know the uh, big action scene action fact theme it's basically a, it's basically a three four time. <speaking voice> said, it's a lost it's a lost thing. And he thought was just gonna hate it. He said, I liked it, but I didn't think they would fly. And yep, it it's worked freaking great
1: in the movie. But yeah, I mean, you take a movie like again, we'll use Jaws because it's probably the most recognized theme song. Yeah, ever. you pull that music out,
0: you just have a big yeah, you- shark. Yeah, a big stupid-looking shark at that. Towards the end, I, I and guess it, I it goes back does. to music
1: can you know help intensify and save a sheen, save a scene uh-huh. because towards the end of the movie the the shark alone would not have sold the movie. Uh-uh. Now you put no. that score behind it, and you you, you build that sense
0: of fear. So it doesn't matter oh, yeah. what that big mind- shark looks like. It doesn't, and it didn't, and I, I think they—that was not by choice on Spielberg's part. The the big shark Bruce, I think they called yeah. it, kept malfunctioning, so they just have. To, and I think it works so much better. Just we, they just take the camera and float it underwater, and, and just you just be you'd be viewing from the shark's perspective, and 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 you announce all you had all you had to hear was boom, and you went oh, but, Bruce is here. Yeah, that movie scared me to death. I tell you, I tell you one of my favorite experiences within the movie theater. We were, my brother was uh, in USC. Jaws came out, I was down visiting. And we had another friend who ran the theater at the University Village. And it was like 110 degrees outside. And he said, well, I'll get you into the theater. We're playing Jaws. And we said, we'd seen it. He said, but it's, you know, it's, Seventy degrees inside, you know. You get air conditioning. Just, just come for the air conditioning. And it was a mostly black neighborhood. Watch and watching a horror movie with a completely black audience is so freaking entertaining. They are so interactive. It was just weird. I mean, stuff you would never, you know, you couldn't, you couldn't behave that way at, in Westwood. But uh, it was just amazing. She's going down to the water. Don't go in the water people just screaming at the screen it was like a rocky horror show it was fantastic oh yeah fantastic i got to play in a revival of the rocky horror show it was kind of fun had a bowling alley in burbank more
1: about that hold
0: on that was weird it was a <laughs> it was a local troupe and uh and my girlfriend her wife i don't know if I, I don't think i was married to her yet my first wife uh she knew the director and they said they're putting, these, they, and they didn't have a lot of money. So they they had a, a really solid keyboard player who would be playing the bass parts and the key parts, and they had a drummer, and they had me. And then and, and we played the score, and it was a lot of fun to do and uh, a lot of fun to play. I tell you all those, uh, all those uh, crazy songs. And then the outro when they're all heading back to the ship or whatever they were doing, it kind of goes into some kind of Pink Floyd kind of uh, dirge and I, just, I just blew the place up with that when it was fun. A lot of fun. And, and since then, I'd seen the guy who played uh, Frank Inferner all over television. He's become very popular. I uh, can't think of his name. Saved my life. Very popular uh, character actor. I see him on Law and Order all the time. The, you know, SVU and, and uh, CSI and all that kind of stuff. Kind of a creepy looking dude. Maybe that's why he gets to he works a lot. <laughs> nice man but just kind of creepy looking, Yeah. Which I, I guess in in Hollywood can be a out in the real world you think I don't want to look creepy but working in Hollywood like, oh, we need the creepy guy get that get that guy from the horror Rocky Horror Show get that creepy guy <laughs> get the guy that and, hung and, out and the and ball you, in the bowling alley you, and you, yeah 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 it's it's amazing it's, uh, and then I my friend Jim Quinn who was acted in uh, the Board, he's had some roles over the years and he's done some commercial stuff. But he didn't really start working good until, like, 10 years ago when he turned 50, you know. He just really grew into that look, you know. He, he, kind of like Tom Skerritt, you know. Tom Skerritt as a kid was kind of dorky looking. But he grew in. He His acting career started very late. What are you going to do? Try all try all you can, but you just may not get the parts until you, uh, until you hit a certain age. It's until you hit that age but, and that look that people are mm-hmm, looking for. Mm-hmm. From a lot of actors talk that way. I don't remember. I can't think of his name either. got a terrible memory. He was in Moonstruck with Cher. He played her father, I believe. Little guy, big nose, very Italian looking, and I think he might have won an Oscar for that. But I mean, but he just worked all the time after he hit a certain age. You know, he'd been in films before that, but he he wasn't like, oh, get that guy, get that Moonstruck guy. He didn't have scripts being sent to him often. And he says, now nah, I get them all the time. I think he might have died to actually not think about. So it.
1: do you get recognized more for being part of the Leprechaun franchises
0: or Night of the Demons? Night of the Demons, I think, because I did the, the first one. And uh, I think uh, my friend Kevin Kainer did the first two. And then, and the first one, like that, he actually had an orchestra and, you know, they 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 went out to make it a full-blown movie. Second, one, I think, kind of the same thing. Uh, maybe they just recycled some of the music from the first one. I don't remember what the story on that one was. But then, in, he, but then they kept dropping. You know, the first one cost, say, three million. I don't know. Second one, they spent like two million on. When they got down to number three and four. It was like. Million and 750,000, and then, like, by the time they got to Leprechaun in the Hood, it was like you know, cigarette money. We got cigarette money, we're making Leprechaun in the Hood. Here we go. So, so I I did three and four, and then they asked me to do five, and I was like, "Mm, I'm not the guy to do Leprechaun in the Hood, and you know, I ain't gonna. you, you You get somebody who understands that music, and uh, I think they ended up using mostly uh. Licensed songs. I don't think I don't even know if I've even seen the whole thing. But working with Warwick Davis is a lot of fun. Good guy. So I think I see. I think I think I get more uh, more uh, juice off of the Night of the Demons because it was the original one. Whereas Leprechaun three and four were not. Say it's funny. Look, uh,
1: of those three, I, I think uh, Leprechaun four is probably the uh, chintzier horror movie.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, well, yeah, three, three, three was, I think three, they, they pretty much abandoned the idea that it's going to be a horror movie. It's, uh, tongue in cheek, uh, Warwick Davis running around Vegas. And then when it got to four, Leprechaun in Space. Uh-huh. It was like, Okay, just, just throw it all away. You know, it, it's just, it's all just a goofy, It was. It was uh, aliens, right? you know, but with the Leprechaun instead of uh, aliens, it was just uh, completely ridiculous. Still a fun movie. I giggled at parts when I first saw it. But yeah, they they just and I, I'm sure by the time it got to be Leprechaun in the Hood, number five, I think that was that uh, they just abandoned all hope <laughs> for, to to have another huge hit. Like you know, I'm not sure how like like Halloween. How many Halloweens are there? Like seven, eight, ten. More than five. Yeah, that's what I thought. And uh they just but they just kept getting hits. I mean they were not like, you know I think one's probably still the most endearing people like the most, but wasn't like the next one came out and went straight to tape, I don't think. I think they've all been in theaters. Yeah. Along along with the, the other one, what's the other one, Jason and
1: uh Let's say yeah, the uh, Friday the thirteenth and uh Nightmare yeah, on right Street, right have all. Pretty now, much, no, uh,
0: there's there's, there's got to be twelve of them or so. Yeah, and again, they are still making box office. Though, as
1: far as I know. Do you have any advice for anybody who wants to go into uh, the music department for
0: movies? First of all, I fell into it because that was the guy. The only guy, uh, the people I was working with on which board knew who could do it. They didn't didn't know other people. You know, they knew I was I could do this. So. That was so, so. I always tell people, well, it doesn't hurt to have a brother who's a director. That's so. Go get your brother who's a director. That's a good way to get into, in at the beginning. But that's kind of a joke. What it was, I was ready for, for the opportunity. You know, I'd scored student films. Right, so go to college, go out to the college. Say, I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to score films. Uh, can I write some original music for your motion pictures? Matter of fact, I wrote music for my brother's, uh, High, uh, high school college thesis a film called The Book of Joe and uh, it won an Emmy so I I didn't win an Emmy but the film I worked uh. on won an Emmy so so I mean and I said well I've worked on Emmy Award winning productions you know you know. Won, one of them one yes and I also worked on Dinosaur Island yes I did that too <laughs> I didn't score it but I worked on it
1: I was part of the process damn it
0: it was I was learning yeah mm. Got to be great friends with Jim and and Fred Olin Ray over the years because once again they knew I could get it done. You know, and Jim Jim had his uh, his boy Chuck Serino. I think scored. I think Jim's made like we got have made at least fifty films or something like that. I think Chuck scored like forty five of them. I got to know those guys pretty good. They're funny cats. But yeah, but other than that, I don't know. It, you know what? Because it's a whole different world now. Whole, like, uh, I got called, well, I actually approached this uh, director. But he was f- crowdfunding. And I, and I saw that Kathy Podwell, who was the star of Night of the Demons, played Judy, the girl in the uh, Alice in Wonderland outfit. She did that movie, then did four seasons of Dallas as J.R. Ewing's wife, new wife, and then got married, started having kids, and quit, Business for twenty years, twenty five years, hmm. maybe more than that, and then I just well, I was reading through this, you know, this, this GoFundMe page, and it said Kathy Podewell coming out of retirement to do this film. And I was like, oh, wow! And, you know, she raised her kids, got them all into school, all, all into college. Said I'm going back, and, and so she's back doing films. And uh, so I said, if you if you can use my name to help crowdfund Raise money, please do. I said you don't have to hire me. You can just tell people that I'm I'm considering doing it and uh, I'm going to do it and whatever. We we got no contract or anything like that. So, but uh, that'd be my opinion too. Just reach out to people doing GoFundMe and saying, do you need original music? Uh, I I have some. Have a demo. Have a demo ready. You know, score a film that's already been scored. Go back and score an old film that just didn't. You know, old old. I did. 36 old john wayne movies they colorized them we we did all the sound effects they looped everybody's voice including john wayne's and we wrote music for like god there's 25 26 of them you know and they were just like one-hour films right they were like uh, uh I don't know what, they're, they're like an added feature on a on a double feature. Hmm. And, and John Wayne for, you know, maybe not an hour. They might be like 40 minutes or something like that. I got a lot of them. And, and then I would try. we wanted to do this uh, movie, The Law of Rondado. And we just used that as a demo, all, all these John, old John Wayne films. Of course, we had, we had a St. Clavier at our uh, disposal at that point. And it was a monster instrument. But yeah, I don't, know, I don't know how you do it anymore other than just do it, you know get a hold of people online saying, do you have a composer signed up yet? Can I send you a reel? And then that's how you do it. I mean, uh, Witchboard did well. And then Night of the Demons did really well as far as uh, buzz. You know, it never got released nationally. It was just like Chicago, New York, a couple other cities, I think. And did huge per screen. So it didn't make a shitload of money because they didn't have it in like Three thousand theaters. It was in like six theaters, but what they averaged per screen would have made, had they made enough prints to fill it all over the country, film would have grossed huge amounts of money. Nice. Just a, yeah, just per screen. You know, people would go home, tell your friend, you gotta see this damn thing, and they advertise it pretty heavily in those cities. So it also helped me that, uh, like I say, that to to keep moving in in my scoring career was that those films did really well. Yeah. So, yeah. So, you know, I was lucky to get on, uh, films that did well. Cause you, you, know, you can have a great score in a film that's just not very good. And no one goes and sees it. You just spent, you know, six weeks of your life for for whatever they paid you, you know, which I've done many occasions. Do you have any
1: upcoming projects coming out over the next year or so? Uh,
0: Yeah. And uh, like I said, I'm working with this uh, film called Reunion from Hell because Kathy Podwell, my gal from Night of the Demons, was in it. I think they just wrapped, so it's it's called uh, Reunion from Hell. I'm not sure what they shot it in Alabama. I'm not sure what. I've read the script. It's a good script. It's a horror film. You know, it's more of a slasher movie than a monster movie. But uh, it's got some weird, weird uh, not weird. It's got some different takes. So I don't know how they're going to advertise it. I don't know if they're going to enter fist festivals or nice. what. I just know that I, I just got a messenger today saying we've wrapped. So and that's principal. I'm sure. I'm sure they got pickups and reshoots. Maybe even so. We'll see. Of course, today I think you have a better idea when you wrap because everything's shot on HD. And so. It's not like you have to wait for the dailies to go off to the lab get transferred go to screening room watch what you have you know you, you can you can look back you can take some it's a cut and you can look back at it right now you know so so i think the editing process and the filming process is way way uh, faster these days where can
1: fans uh find you on like social media the internet stuff like that to uh, just keep up with you and Keep up with what you're doing.
0: Yeah. Uh, I, I got the, the uncledennishow.com and that'll take anyone to uh, all the, I have links to, like, my Bandcamp page. You can either just listen to my scores or download them if you want for a nominal fee. And it also takes you to my uh, DistroKid page, which—it's then not my DistroKid page. It takes you to the iTunes store where I have some music up as well, Night of the Demons score, and— some albums and that kind of stuff. But if you go to Uncle Dennis, theUncleDennisShow.com, that's theUncleDennisShow.com, uh, you can find links to everything there.
1: Nice. And I'll make sure I have that link in the episode description so it's easy to find.
0: Ooh. That's fantastic. Well, I appreciate that. And uh, The Reunion from Hell is the name of the film. Oh, how about this? I've given up on even saying that anymore. Is the working title. Of the film. You know, I worked on, I, I scored a film called Finnegan's Awake, and it came out as uh, Backstreet Justice. <laughs> and I scored a film called The Law Rondado, and it was called Border Shootout when it came out. And it like, okay. But anyway, the working title is uh, The Reunion from Hell. I think they even have a website or some kind of page. Well, I look forward to that. Yeah, I hope, I'm hoping it turned out well. I'm, I'm hoping it's uh, something I
1: can get involved with. So we'll see. Listeners, you know where to find him. You can find me and other great podcasters over at electronicmediacollective.com. dot com. Yeah, I got. I, I think I even have that uh, saved somewhere, and maybe even this
0: device I'm talking
1: to you with my phone. See, or look me up on Twitter at uh, Moose Media Inc. But yeah, Dennis, it's been fun uh, chatting with you today. Well, thank you so
0: much for having me
1: there, Moose. And uh, listeners, until next time, mash on. Bye-bye. I hope
0: you enjoyed today's episode and you don't lose that spirit.
1: Come back tomorrow for another of Moose's 13 Horrifying Days of Christmas. Or crap has come for your soul.